And it's not just crisis marriages where we work on these acts of service, often it's in preparatory relationship. Once you get to that level of commitment where you feel like this is growing, developing, there's a possibility for a commitment that's going to go beyond just dating, then these kind of things become huge and recognizing who has the acts of service gifts and what does that look like, where you're doing this negotiation, this distribution of roles. And once you know your partner's kind of sweet spot, what helps them, then serving them in that capacity over and over again becomes a blessing for both, not just the receiver. Welcome to Love and Life. I'm Dr. Karen Anderson Abril here with my co-host, Pastor Elliot Anderson. And Love and Life is your place to hear conversations grounded in psych research, psychotherapy, and biblical truth to help us thrive in love and life. We are continuing our series on the five love languages to celebrate Valentine's week. We have covered the first three, and today we're talking about acts of service, which everyone loves someone to do them a favor, lend them a hand, but some people in particular really love that extra effort that someone gives them to take that load off their back or to share the burden of whatever they've got to do throughout the day, whether it's running an errand or, no, I'll go ahead and weed the garden. Let me take that off your plate. Elliot, what do you see with the couples you work with when it comes to acts of service? Any kind of generalities or any kind of themes? Yeah, I was just with a couple last night who's in crisis recovery and doing great. And people might be surprised by this to hear that often in crisis recovery, sessions are focused on things like acts of service. How can we truly repair this partnership, build the trust again, build the connection and the symmetry, especially when there's kids involved? And how do we distribute these roles and how do we serve each other in this manner? And it was a super fun and blessed session, really almost all exclusively about acts of service. Wow. So that was both of their love language, and it was particularly important as they're trying to repair. You said it's a crisis repair, that's the term yes. you used? Yeah. And that means that there's been some violation of the marital trust and bond. The basic so- foundation has cracks, is what I call it in my seminars. Cracks been in that foundation through some type of trauma, activity, betrayal, adultery, embezzlement, addiction, things of that level. I like that word cracks. I had said violation, and I like cracks. Cracks feel like they can be repaired. Absolutely. Cracks are not fundamentally necessarily going to destroy. And I think that, and you and I have talked about this extensively, and I think the Love and Life community is on board with this. Words are powerful. Certainly the former tagline for this show was take charge of your thoughts, take charge of your life. And that's all about the words you tell yourself and certainly the words you speak onto your marriage. And when something happens, how you frame that. Was that a violation, utter destruction of the marital bond, or was it a crack that now we can tend to, we can repair, we can nurture and move forward? And you always point this out, which is such a beautiful word of encouragement that that bears repeating, is that our crises, our even the most painful situations that have caused a lack of trust, they can be used to become closer and more intimate moving forward. So those really rough seasons can actually be when you look back on them, some of the best things that could ever happen. Yeah, we call it a blessing and a gift. We use that language in the sessions to frame it that way to help the perspective and take charge of that perspective when you're trying to recover and heal. And it's not just crisis marriages where we work on these acts of service, often it's in preparatory relationship. Once you get to that level of commitment where you feel like this is growing, developing, there's a possibility for a commitment that's going to go beyond just dating then these kind of things become huge and recognizing who has the acts of service gifts and what does that look like where you're doing this negotiation, this distribution of roles. And once you know your partner's 
kind of sweet spot, what helps them, then serving them in that capacity over and over again becomes a blessing for both, not just the receiver. Yeah. And I'm going to speak to my single ladies here for a moment because having been single so long and for anyone new to the program, I didn't get married until I was 42. Acts of service was something that even if I would like it, I had to learn to be so independent that when Dan does something for me, even like I roll up from the grocery store and he runs out to help me with the bags, that's still like, oh, wow, someone will do that for me. I was used to schlepping my own groceries up three flights of stairs in my Chicago apartment. So it's interesting that I think about the trajectory of someone's life and the seasons they've gone through. If they have had an extended single season, they may have had to pull back or do for themselves some of these love languages that and maybe give themselves gifts or maybe giving themselves those words of affirmation. I wonder, do you see sometimes having a hard time even trusting the other their partner with that gift that they so deeply desire, but they've had to do for themselves for so long? Yeah, I, I see it a lot more with women than men. Interesting. Most men are able to receive their wife's service easier. Okay. If it's identified, understood, and it's actually something he wants. And mm-hmm. so recognizing both aspects there of that contingency. But with a lot of single women who've been single for a long time, like you were, or single mothers who are now dating, or mothers of young children, and the husband's super busy also, sometimes it's hard for them to take that identity off that I have to be super mom, right. or super caretaker of all things, and to actually feel vulnerable and open enough and trusting enough to ask their partner for particular acts of service. And I want to speak to the gender roles now because we know that in our traditional understanding of the way that God wired men, they want to provide. Now, monetarily, certainly, they want to provide, protect. And so if they want to provide an act of service and a woman who maybe was single so long She's, it, it feels very vulnerable for her to even offer her heart in that way to receive those acts of service. I would imagine that that could, if she shut that down, that could be hurtful for him. Yeah. And we talked about that very scenario last night in the negotiation of these acts of service with the bedtime routine for the youngest child, mm-hmm. the oldest child, and then the dishes and then bath times. And so we walk through for 20 minutes. People are like, this is like psychotherapy. I'm like, absolutely negotiation of these basic foundational serving each other and acts of service in a recovery mode when things are new, things are developing, things are a little vulnerable. And it was a wonderful session. And they started to negotiate themselves without my influence. They just started talking through, hey, what about this area? If I serve you here, is that going to be really, oh my gosh, that'd be so great. Thank you so much. And then they really were having these connections and left excited like, hey, we're going to try these new small little maneuvers to serve each other well. And both of them do enjoy acts of service. Now, that's a different variable. If you didn't, then some of this could be awkward or seen as unnecessary. And just hold me, babe. I don't need you to do the dishes. Just hold me and and talk. And those are different variables. Right. Because it gets back to the way that we want to receive love. And once they've identified that they are both, that one of their love languages is acts of service, then that physical touch you spoke to, just hold me here. Let's just snuggle over here. That's not going to do it. I mean, it'll be nice. Yeah. For, well, not for everyone, I, w- I should say. There's That's some, true. As we, but Dr. Chapman's basic ethos of the book is that these five are necessary in some capacity for every relationship. It's just where's the level of importance and priority. Right. To celebrate Valentine's Week, we're giving away a copy of Dr. Gary Chapman's classic book, The Five Love Languages. To enter, just rate and review Love and Life on Apple Podcasts between February 13th and February 24th. Take a screenshot of your review, 
post it in your Instagram stories, and be sure to tag me at Dr. Karen, D-R dot K-A-R-I-N. The winner will be picked at random and will receive the book plus a few love and life freebies. Well, one thing that occurs to me and help me understand whether or not this is the case, but I think of acts of service. And I remember something that Leah, our sister-in-law, who is our older brother, Warren's wife, when the kids were little and we were just chatting and she was just sharing some of the what they were going through with the diaper season and all the things. But she mentioned that one of the things she had to learn to do as a mom, and you spoke to moms who are trying to be super moms and trying to be all over everything coming from the purest place to be the best mom they could possibly be. But she said it was hard for her sometimes to delegate to Warren, say, oh yeah, go ahead and take care of bath time. Because there's a part of her that was like, but is he going to do it right? Absolutely. (laughs) So that acts of service, and if they Mm -hmm. do it right, speak to that a little bit. Yeah. And I think birth orders at play there as well. Leah, like me, is a middle child. Warren's an oldest and used to setting the structure, setting the systemic. So I think that's a piece of their relationship and also could be in our listeners' relationships. So sometimes the middle child will be more naturally open to that or the youngest, but have a difficult time asking for it from a partner who might be an oldest or more domineering in personality temperament or structure. So I think it does matter. And that's why these things got to be talked out. So again, I'm just using this fresh example from the couple last night because it fits so well and they would, yeah. be, they would be thrilled that it could share and help somebody. Good. But they've been married like 16 years. So they were laughing in a good way last night, just about isn't it funny? We just haven't talked about these things very specifically. The husband used explicitly, right? Very explicit directions for each other to receive these acts of service differently when they both love to do it and they both love to receive it. So here's a bread and butter sweet spot. Let's focus on this. Right. And to give those tangible steps. And I think all of us, no matter how in our head we are, or we people like us who enjoy theorizing and we love big picture. But when it comes down to it, especially when you're talking about dealing with some cracks, you want some of those tangibles. Like this is what we can do to concretize what it looks like to heal and move forward with deeper intimacy. Yeah. We often think how I repair this bond of trust. And often it's these everyday regular occurrences, system regulation, and a new level of honesty, a new level of disclosure, new level of authenticity, and being upfront with needs and reception. And so much of the marriage research, when you look at it, and we've talked about it before, but again, it's another one of these themes that is always helpful to underscore. I'm thinking about the Gottman's research and the, the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And one of the ones that I remember them talking about one of the things that they can identify as really strengthening a marriage. The four horsemen obviously tear away at the bonds of marriage. But one of the things that they say is really strengthens a marriage is these bids for attention. Mm-hmm. And so that's a little thing you can do every day. And it's it's something that you, it's a discipline where you go, okay, I know this. I know that a bid for attention is a little thing, whether it's, hey, I want to tell you this, I just watched this YouTube video and I want to share it with you. Or I want to tell you this little stat, I was reading an article in the newspaper And it's that discipline of saying, okay, I'm going to pull myself away from whatever I'm curious and and interested in right now and give my partner full attention. And that is a way of demonstrating in a very small but very concrete way, you matter to me, what you think is important, 
I think is important, no matter if I don't even know what it is yet, because we're partners, we're on the same team here, we're doing life together. And those, so again, just those little things. So it's something that I even think of if I'm in, caught up in something and very much immersed in it. And Dan asks for my attention, I pull myself out. And in that moment, I remind myself, Karen, this is important. This is known through marriage research to be a way to today at 10 a.m. to strengthen my marriage right here in my now, but right here and now by giving my husband my attention. Yeah, if my partner asks for it, there's a reason. And we might say, well, sometimes those reasons are selfish or silly or not that important. It doesn't matter. It's our partner asking. And you think about, we're in Valentine's week and we're talking about all the activities of Valentine's week and how many expectations are involved and how many hurt feelings come around Valentine's day and ex expectations and gifts and how we receive these love languages. And I know, hundreds of couples, this is an exaggeration, where one of the couple would prefer an act of service for Valentine's Day than a fancy gift. And so if that's not negotiated, talked through, discussed, shared, even early in the stages of building that partnership, even laid out for each other, and you are, oh, that's not romantic. Really it is, in the deeper sense it is. I know some of us like a big splash or like to do something super dramatic, and sometimes that can be awesome, but often those are nice, but they miss the mark. They miss the true soul need. That's where I think acts of service is such a bread and butter, a steak and potatoes reality in every single partnership. And when someone knows that their partner does receive love through acts of service, then again, we talked about this in the prior episodes, we would recommend it's incumbent upon you now to then behave accordingly, even if it's not your natural go-to, even if it's not the way that you, it's not your love language. But do you find with couples then, once that's established, that maybe, let's say the wife wants acts of service, the husband really doesn't care, but now he knows I need to do, I need to love her in this manner. Do you find that sometimes she gets frustrated like, yeah, he knows that's my love language, but then now he makes me tell him what act of service I want, where she wants him to kind of, just pick up on some things like, you know, the laundry needs fold. You can see me. I've got three kids. I'm putting a bed, yeah. you know, here's the pile of laundry. And she wants him to kind of just pick up where, where he sees a need. Or do you say, listen, let's not try to read each other's mind. If it's early in the relationship and you have this false belief that they're going to magically read your mind, right. that's naivety or ignorance on your own part. I understand that desire and feeling it's more romantic, but I only see couples frustrated if we've already talked about it, we agreed upon it, we made some commitment to it, and then we just let it go right. or almost intentionally seem to sabotage it. Do you recommend then, let's say again with my scenario of a wife who wants some acts of service done to, like, to just create a honey-do list? Absolutely. Feels, okay. Yeah. Walk through it specifically. Again, the more kids, the busier the jobs, the more direct and explicit you got to be. And sometimes it can be romantic to walk through that together. Hey, what kind of things you need done tomorrow? I got some free time. I'd love mm -hmm. to help out and walk through what that looks like and, and vice versa. And for a lot of men who might have a love language that's in the touch capacity or in a gift capacity and their spouse is in or their partner is in ver words of affirmation and acts of service, that's when you can negotiate. And it sounds, again, transactional, but you can trade. You can simply talk through that and not make it a conditional manipulation, but just an open, honest disclosure. You know, I'd like to do these acts of service. I'd like to do these things that would help you and benefit us and the family and everything else. And then could we sit down and watch a movie together and snuggle later on if we get all this stuff done? And that's, that's not manipulation. That's just connection. 
That just sounds like working together. Absolutely. It's partnership. You're honestly walking through and being vulnerable enough. And that was one of the moments last night where I was pushing the mother to look at her husband and just say, this is what I need. And it was hard for her because she feels guilty a little bit because he works super hard, provides super well. And she's, he's tired. I don't want to give that to him. And he was like, give it to me. I want to know. I want to know. I want to serve you in that way. So it was a really cool moment. Wow. If you're interested in processing further as you align your mind, body, and spirit, we're here for you. Head over to loveandlifemedia.com and click on the Work With Us tab. There you can book individual or couples sessions. Or sign up for one of our support groups. Purchase one session or a multiple session package. We'd love to work with you. Sign up at loveandlifemedia.com. What about if the wife wants to service and take some things off her husband's plate, but then she's not so good with her time management and she says she's going to go to the bank (laughs) and deposit the check, (laughs) but then she doesn't get around to it. But she meant to. I'm not talking about anyone no, that we know here. <laughs> <This is Yes. laughs> what happens then? <laughs> I think it's the communication again. As soon as you know that said person or said co-host wasn't going to make it to the bank in time, you alert your time-tasking, very organized, structured husband and let him know. <laughs> yeah. Not that that happened two weeks ago no, or anything. Sure it didn't. No. <laughs> no, and I'm in the same boat, obviously, as someone who has a very structured wife, just like you have a very structured husband. And if she gives me two or three things, and often I ask for them anyway, but then I get going through the role of the day and I just don't get one of them done. And I have pretty good reasons. It wasn't just simply I forgot. Usually I just let her know right away rather than yeah. just wait and see if she's going to figure out I didn't get to the bank in time. Well, <laughs> Dan's to the point now when I offer to do something, he's like, but are you really going to do it? No, I don't plan. <laughs> I understand. He's just making sure. And then you can walk through that together. Luckily, that's not his love language anyway. That's so. helpful. <laughs> but it is my wife's love language. So I, I know after 33 years together, 35 since we've been dating, to make sure majority of the time I can take care of things. Or I just say, you know what, I don't have the time today. You know, let's regroup tonight or do something that later. and Or I can do it tomorrow. I can't do it today. I want to circle back. You talked about sometimes sabotaging. And are you talking about globally speaking now, once we know our spouse's love language? Or just our partners, partners, committed partners. Yeah, that sometimes you see when there's that anger or that desire to retaliate, that there would be, I'm going to withhold exactly the love language that you want. Yeah, for sure. And that's the sabotage piece. Yeah, and it happens a lot in couples that are in cycles of conflict and pain and woundedness and retaliation and contempt and bitterness. And it can happen pretty quickly. It can happen over a week span. It can happen over a couple of days where a couple of things like acts of service weren't done. The other one feels hurt. There's no apology, no confession, no sharing. And then retaliation can occur even subconsciously. It doesn't always have to be consciously. But once we start going tit for tat and round for round, Someone's got to de-escalate that with, hey, let's just talk through this and re-enter and then discuss and share the reality of which love language here that's important to us is not being fulfilled, which need is not being talked through. And unfortunately, it's that, that element of when we know someone so deeply, we are also have the ability to hurt them. Yeah, the better so we know, the stronger the commitment, the more vulnerable it always is. Where you, like we talked about earlier, someone has taken the risk to be vulnerable and intimate by sharing, this is this is my heart, this is how I want to be loved. And then for someone to withhold it, that could be, again, a big crack. Yeah, and in these recovery couples I work with, that's a thing we talk through right away. 
It's very vulnerable to try to do this. And we don't talk about starting over. We say start new, mm -hmm. but it's very vulnerable to do that and to get the trust back and to move forward in those areas. So these simpler functionality processes of love language and roles and responsibility can be a great way to help seal those cracks that allows the trust to come back, allows the faith to come back and build that momentum towards holistic intimacy again. I want to bring it back to our single listeners because a lot of the community of love and life has been made up based on folks who found my work through my book and so forth. So I also want to make sure we're giving our single listeners some, some strategies for building that strong marriage that they desire even before they've met that person. So knowing our, our who we are, we've talked about that before. So even if you're not in a partnership right now, taking the love language quiz so that you have a sense of, of who you are and how you like to be loved, even before you've met your person, to lay that foundation in your sense of self and wholeness. And I'd also say to recognize what love language you like to receive from family bonds of opposite gender. So that if you're a single woman and you haven't had a boyfriend in a while, go back to past boyfriends and kind of look and reflect what kind of love language did I like or need from them? And if you haven't had that for a while, looking at brothers or dad or grandpas and just look for something in that gender transference that might give you some clues to your own style. Mm -hmm. Thinking about the memories of maybe something your dad said to you that you never forgot and or some act of service that your dad did for you that you never forgot, those sorts of things can help you have that, that understanding of where you are and how you're wired. When you deal with premarital folks and even couples who are doing pre-engagement counseling mm -hmm. with you. Do you ever see a disconnect with love languages and styles that really cause you to think this is some red flag? These are some red flags waving. Two different fronts. One, when they're still in the infatuation period. Sure. And so that's six, nine months somewhere still maybe. And they're probably getting married a little too. And I'm making those gentle comments to them about, well, it sounds like there's still some deficiencies and authenticity and openness and a guy will say, it's usually a guy who says something that's stupid. I got all the love languages covered for her. I don't have any issues with any of them. I'm just so into her. It's easy. I'm just, I'm like, that's awesome. And I don't try to discourage that. That's fantastic. Let's talk through those a little bit. Let's look at, sometimes there's just not enough experiential living, not necessarily together, but living in community together that allows them to know those differences. And so that's when you got to probe backwards a little bit or to look at the priorities and say, okay, if you had to choose one, which of these, and that's when I list them all out for them, and they have to put which they want the most, which they need the most, which they actually give the most. But let's say you only have time for two, mm -hmm. then which two do you have to do? And then that helps get, it, get a little bit more defined. So I see that infatuation thing that happens sometimes in the pre-engagement, premarital, where they're just not honest or authentic enough yet about which is really the most important or how. And then the thing I also see is that one of the partners is just afraid to really say the truth. Mm -hmm. You know what? You touch me too much or you talk too much. And mm -hmm. I can tell by their response just to the answers and questions with me, just by watching body language and everything else, that there might be little issues there. How do we go about walking through that? Yeah, because that would... <laughs> You're seeing the the facial expression or the nonverbals, mm -hmm. and you're like, oh, this isn't working for this person, but they, they care about their partner deeply and they don't want to hurt their feelings. And that's when I normally go to broad-based teaching. Let me just tell you a little bit about processing. Some like, of us ahead. are external processors. Some of us are internal processors. And this is what it looks like in a dynamic then that often allows the one partner to say, oh, that's me. I really prefer the internal. I said, oh, let's talk about how that matches up then. Sometimes so-and-so talks a little more than I need. Great. We have one now small element of honesty there we can work on and make sure that we know 
what about that processing or that communication is helping or not serving and how do those align with the love languages or the needs? Mm. We'd love to connect with you further via our weekly newsletter. Joining the Love & Life family gets you first access to bonus content and flash sale pricing for books and consultations. And when you sign up, you'll receive Karen's Empowered Dating Playbook or my Empowered Marriage Playbook. Head over to loveandlifemedia.com to join the Love & Life family. There's another area, Karen, I want to bring up where sometimes we can use our love languages and acts of service is a really good one to use, where we use a station of that gift as a block of our responsibility for other gifts. So a partner can say, listen, I take care of all these things for you. I pay the bills, I do the dishes, I help with the kids, or I help you with your job or your emails. Why can you? Why are you complaining that I don't give you enough words of affirmation? Isn't it obvious I love you? Right. So I think that happens quite a bit. And though the acts of service are, again, fantastic, and we're glad that partner's doing it, that's not comprehensively doing partnership. And you're likely picking the one that's easy for you right. rather than the one that, in a complex manner, is more holistic, fulfilling for both. And so sometimes getting out of our comfort zone, continue those acts of service. If they're serving a couple, great, that's wonderful, but still get some of those words of affirmation, which tends to be the one that is absent if someone's mainly acts of service oriented. Okay. I don't know if it's left brain, right brain, or external processing versus internal, but that's the one I see happen the most. Yeah. And it, that gets back to the core of Dr. Chapman's theory is that someone could say, it's so obvious I love you. Look at everything I do for you. And if acts of service isn't her love language or isn't his love language, they're not feeling it. And they probably in their mind are like, well, of course you're supposed to do that. Yeah. <laughs> We're partners in this thing. And so they might see that as that's kind of a given. Whereas he or she's going, no, this is not a given. I do this. And every time I'm doing this act of service, I'm thinking about you. And they're like, yeah, but it just doesn't work for me. I'm not receiving it that way. So I think that's one of the practical strategies our listeners could do is not only identify which ones you have, but identify then how you would want those to be done, because they're all different within their variables. And then also, how are you going to receive or give back to your partner once you know theirs? And then actually have that dialogue before you're waiting for the big birthday. And then you're trying to get this special gift or special affirmation or whatever that might be. And I think that level of honesty, openness, and authenticity allows those to be met. Yeah. So as we wrap up, bringing it down to brass tacks and tangibles, I think it's so helpful. And you use a lot of worksheets with your couples. And you said that you have some that you've based on Dr. Chapman's mm-hmm. work and where there's ranking of the of the love language and then ways that you can tangibly say this I intend to do and I commit to doing this or right. saying this or yeah, this is how I value acts of service is number one and these are the act, kind of acts of service that then fulfill that because a lot of partners get caught in acts of service number one and I do these particular acts of service for you why isn't that okay mm. maybe they don't need your record collection alphabetized every week and you're thinking that's acts of service to her and she could care less Right. So it's acts of service that fulfill the entire system and structure, in particular the partner. So getting back to not expecting each other to read each other's minds. Yes. So yeah, so the, that's something that we can make available on the website and giving all credit to Dr. Chapman. Mm-hmm. We are both professors, no plagiarism here, but just inspired by Absolutely. his his fundamental theory and then how you've seen it work and and be applied through the couples you've worked with over 30 years. And that worksheet has the additional love languages I've put forth that we'll do a bonus episode for that'll come out next week. Yeah, perfect. 
I will say a prayer of blessing now over our listeners. Great. Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, the love languages. Thank you, Lord, that all love is from you. And uh, Lord, that you fill us with your love to give to others, in particular those in our primary bonds and relationships and our romantic partners. Pray, Lord, that acts of service like the other gifts would be understood and explained and expressed and shared and agreed upon and uh, come alive in each and every relationship. And for those who are not in a relationship at the moment, Lord, that they would do some further study and research to understand themselves and analyze and assess and know going forward they will be able to better communicate what they need and what they plan on giving and receiving as well. So we thank you for this time. Amen. Amen. Thank you, as always, for sharing a portion of your day with us. And tomorrow, join us again where we round off the Chapman Five Love Languages with physical touch. And then Elliot will provide a bonus episode of a couple additional extras that he's given to the Chapman Theory. As always, we appreciate you spending a portion of your day with us. It means so much. If you have just a moment to head over to Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star rating and a few words of review, it helps others find the program and join the Love and Life family. We're here to help us all align our mind, body, and spirit for empowered relationships. And until next time, make it a great week. Love and Life is produced by Tim May and hosts and executive producer, Dr. Karen Anderson-Abril.